0: Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me your host James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know, and we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. In today's episode, I get to talk to a guest who's been described as one of the UK's most hotly tipped young entrepreneurs, co-founder and CEO of Fanbyte, Timothy Armue. Tim started his first ever business at the tender age of 14 and had sold his second business three years later while still at school. In 2017, Tim and his co-founder Ambrose started the Gen Z-focused advertising agency Fanbytes. Fanbyte helps brands reach a Gen Z audience through popular social media channels like Snapchat and TikTok. Using their specially developed algorithm, They search out the future stars of social media and connect them to global brands like Apple, Warner Brothers, Deliveroo, and Universal to create impactful campaigns. Since launching the business, they've grown rapidly, and Tim and Ambrose now lead an award-winning team of 30. In today's interview, we cover some really interesting topics, starting with his upbringing in Ghana, his teenage years starting his first business, through to the ups and downs of scaling a high-growth firm like Fanbytes. During our chat, you'll hear about how Timothy began Fanbytes while still at university and how he balanced his studies while launching the business, the challenges he faced convincing brands to work with Fanbytes in the early days, and his advice for entrepreneurs looking to carve out their own niche, and his thoughts on the importance of culture and how he's managed to maintain and develop Fanbytes' unique culture while rapidly scaling the business. I love chatting to Tim and was really inspired to hear about all he's achieved at such a young age. His passion for what he does is infectious and he's the sort of talented young leader that I know will go very far. I for one will be rooting for him and I'm really excited to see where his entrepreneurial journey takes him. I'm sure after listening to this you'll feel the same way too. So, with all that said, please sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Timothy Amu. Tim, it's great to meet you. Thank you very much for being our 40-minute mentor. I thought we could kick this off as we like to with a quick 30-second overview of your CV, if that's cool.
1: Quick 30-second overview. Cool. So I'm... Timothy Amu, also known as Timo. I'm the CEO of Fanbice. What we do is we help brands all over the world, everyone from Warner Brothers, Deliveroo, McDonald's, the government, we help them to reach younger audiences on social media. Fanbice is my third company, started my first at 14, sold my second at 17, and started this at 22, two years ago.
0: Wow, that's a lot that you've achieved in a relatively short amount of time, which we will unpack over the course of this conversation. We- so I know you were born in Hackney, yeah. Uh, but moved to Ghana early on in your life and spent kind of the first 10 years of your life there. I wanted to start there, really. How would you say that your upbringing has shaped you and your career?
1: So typically I'd say that it's not so much where I lived. I think is being an only child. So I, I, don't, I don't have any like brothers or sisters. And I think that just made me like fiercely independent, just like right from the off. But I think also, so spending 10 years in Ghana was cool. So sometimes people ask me whether like that impacted me in some way. And I don't necessarily think it did. I I just see it as just one long stretch from like Ghana to here, et cetera. But I think it's more being an only child, which was, I think, just made me like just super independent. When I came over, I lived with my dad and even then he was like always oh, at work. And so, so you just grow a like deep level of independence anyway, which I think helped a lot. One of the things I say in the... In the company um, a lot which sometimes people don't like it's like figure it out like anytime someone has a problem which to me is just obvious I'm just like figure it out and I think like that phrase really shaped a lot of my youth it was just like always oh, like figuring it out figuring it out which always seemed to work well
0: No, oh, fair enough I mean you you launched your first business at 14 I don't know many people other than yeah, maybe selling some lemonade on a, on a stand but and then you as you said you sold a business at 17 so like where do you get that entrepreneurial spirit from? Where did that start?
1: So like often people talk about, you know, they, they were just insanely curious as kids, et cetera. And I'm not even ashamed to say that my first ever company, I started it because I just wanted to make money. And I was-
0: Refreshingly honest. You yeah. Know? <laughs>
1: and you know, I'd, uh, the story goes that I was coming back from school. I was with a friend of mine. We saw this black Mercedes Benz. He then goes like, how much do you think that Benz is? And I go like 500 quid. Because to me that like at 14, that's, a, that's like, whoa, that's like 5 <laughs> million. And so as a consequence of that, I he then made me a bet said like, I guarantee you, you wouldn't see 500 um, pounds before you turn 18. And I was like, well, bets on. And I went on the internet. I, I literally found out that people were making like money online. So I just literally searched like make. Like, make money online. And the problem is that, like, what's it like 10 years ago, when you go online and you search make money online, it's just like a bunch of like scammers, right? It's just a bunch of people like, pay me like 999 and I'll show you how to make like 1,000 pounds. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? That made no sense. But then I started to, I stumbled across this quote, which I thought was really powerful called, like, work with what you know. And I knew at that point I was like very good. At math, so I had done pretty well in a recent math exam. So I said, "Cool, I'm just gonna like teach people math." And then I went back to school, started tutoring people in math. That worked out well. Within about two weeks, like people had been like, "Whoa, Tim knows how to get people results." Because my whole thing has been most of what people say is how to do X is not really the way to do it. So I always had these here like tricks that I'd use in order to understand like math better, and then people. Learned about the tutoring thing. They started coming to me for like Spanish and all these things. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to like the Spanish teacher, French teacher, and just ask them like, you know, in your last exam or in your last test, who did the best? And then I just went to those people and say, hey, do you want to make some money? And so essentially what I then started to do was I I became the bridge between like the tutors and the tuties scale that company up you're like a recruiter quick.
0: mate i I pretty much I right? can relate to that.
1: <laughs> um pretty, yeah actually come think about it and yeah that was like the first company that worked quite well i was basically just like collecting money for being like the person in the middle like connecting the two it worked pretty well i definitely earned that like 500 pounds very easily didn't buy the bins because you know <laughs> that just made no sense but um it was good it it amazing good. Good. Yeah. yeah
0: you started so young with this kind of entrepreneurial journey uh, I guess and I, I watched your your TEDx video yeah. where you talk about creating your own identity which really yeah, 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 yeah. resonates with me and I think it's uh someone I, I think a lot of people should, if they haven't seen it go watch it it's, it's, it's very it's very inspiring but did you did you always want to be like run your own business did you have any other aspirations when you were a kid growing up? So when I was like 15, I think I wanted to be like a journalist. Okay. I don't know
1: why, but I think actually, no, I do know why. I think it's because I started to see that, like, especially when I was reading newspapers or like reading books, I used to realize that if you could write a good story, you could literally like impact so many people. And I think just... Like just the idea of being that like, like investigative journalist going out finding the scoops and then like revealing it to the world. To me, I think I just found that really like, whoa, that's pretty cool. But I think shortly afterwards, I just started to think about like impact. And then I, even at that age, and I still think this is true, even at an older age. And like, I just immediately just associated impact with income. The more income you have, the more impact you can have. And when I was like, 15, 16, I was like, if I just get myself financially set, and also I didn't come from a particularly like affluent background at all, like super humble background. And I think I just had always had this desire to be like, I'm pretty sure that I could just like make money like just like that. Because to me, it always just seemed like, it was when I started to realize that like, Money was pretty much like a unit of value and an exchange of value. So then it almost then became like a game where it was like, how valuable can I be? What are the like valuable things I can create? And in doing so, how much can I make? And I think that was what kind of drove my process to then start a second business. And after I saw that, it was kind of like, huh, okay. Like, because I saw that company after like 11 months, it was like super quick. And it was just like, huh, okay. I now get the game and now it's less of even money and more like, how do you play the game of being the most like valuable person that you can be? Yeah. So it's funny that at the beginning it was primarily, I didn't want to be poor and then I stopped being poor and then it was like, okay, cool. Now is actually what's the best version of yourself. You can be right. Yeah. I think that was cool.
0: Definitely. No, I th- I, it resonates for me when I, when I set up JBM had no, no money really. It was like mm. nothing to lose. You don't need much to rec- start a recruitment mm. business. But I had sort of small financial goals in mind. Mm. It was like, okay, I, I know my girlfriend is the person that I want to marry so I need to get together some money for a ring and oh, I know, interesting, you know, yeah. I, I'm i going to need to pay for a wedding and need to, I want to go on an amazing honeymoon. And yeah. I had these little things and before you knew it, you kind of tick them off slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. it's like, well, well, actually, we've got a business here. And, yeah, 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 And then your perspective shifts. So. Yeah, 100%. That's really interesting. I mean, you, you you've obviously had this, entrepreneurial path but you also dabbled with the the corporate world as well so i wanted yeah. to kind of get your view on that you did, i know you interned at uh, the strategy consultancy bcg Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've recruited many a strategy consultant over yeah, the years. Yeah. how did you find that experience and you know how, how did you end up deciding to then go go off alone again and, and start up another business having kind of had that taste of the corporate world
1: so it's super interesting right because <laughs> so at bcg i remember i think his name's like like jeremy or something There was a VP there. So I entered that BCD roughly same time when I was also doing stuff with my second company. I think it was 1821. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I remember being in a conversation with one of the VPs there. And he was saying that they were trying to do something with Time Inc. And what was funny was like the week before I'd had... Lunch with the exact person who they were talking to just on like a personal level. And I was like, through my doing, I'm in the same senior conversation as this person from BCG, essentially like trying to sell something to the same person. I was like, huh, that's interesting because sure, I think places like BCG, places like McKinsey and all those places, I think they're great for being able to have you understand a lot more about, like, strategy, how to really operate. But for me, I think that specific encounter, when I was talking to, like, the VP guy who was saying, oh, yeah, like, we're trying to get in with this person. I was like, I know this person. Like, this person is, like, a partner of ours. And I think it was just, like, you can just, like, shortcut that step by just yourself being someone of value and then being able to be of like value to other people yeah. so that's always been my perspective of like the corporate world i have several friends who work in banks and I was in firms etc and i've always said like if your end goal of that is x like is there a quicker way to do it or is there an easier way to do it and then i've just i've just honed in on that
0: really really interesting because we get a lot of people i think people that we're listening to this that either working, consulting, or yeah. maybe maybe thinking about starting their career and yeah. which direction to go. A lot of people that we know in consulting yeah. want to work for companies like yours, yeah, want to work for yeah, like yeah. fast-growing businesses. It's often a very good sort of grounding. But as you said, it's an interesting moment of kind of reality check for you when you realize you're actually selling the same stuff yeah, yeah, as a partner in a, a yeah, consulting yeah, firm. Yeah, so yeah, I, can, yeah. I can understand why you didn't pursue that. You went on to create FanBytes and I'm really keen to to talk yeah. about that journey. But But before then, I know it's not, the entrepreneurial experience is not always easy. There's ups and downs along the way. Um, So kind of from that earlier, first couple of um, businesses you set up, what for you were the biggest takeaways or learnings or, or things you overcame?
1: Uh, I think hundred percent was like, and I'm still going through that now, understanding your superpower. So Every time I'm employing someone, every time we're like hiring someone, I say like, what's your superpower? Because I think that, um, so the second company was called Entrepreneur Express. It was like an online publication. Think about entrepreneur.com, Business Insider, that type of thing. And what I was able to do, you know, I used my youth essentially to get interviews with Richard Branson, Alan Sugar, James Kahn. Like we, we created an online publication and offline publication the offline publication completely tanked. And the reason why was, so we said our distribution model was, um, was to partner up with universities. So we actually got the enterprise societies of like um, Warwick, Oxford, Cambridge, LSE. And the whole idea was we'll distribute it there. Um, two months comes and then I realized that, hey, so we've got all this content, but how are we going to like sell it? Because we just hadn't, it just hadn't equated in our minds that we'll have to sell like print ads. I, I like for some reason we just thought we just like just pay for it and then it'd be done. And then they gave us a bill. We're like, okay, we could do it for this episode, but um for this issue. But to actually turn this into a business, that's going to be like crazy. Um, so then that bit was really sad because then I had to call up all the universities and be like, hey man, yeah, this isn't like this isn't happening. But then we put all our energy into the online version. And I realized that I was very good at being able to grow and partner up with people who own big um, Facebook pages. So, I use, so I'd create a page around like Gary Vaynerchuk or like like Tony Robbins or like motivation or like hustlers mentality. And I create these pages and then I would like drive traffic from those to my website. Because my whole thesis was like entrepreneurs who are reading the publication would also be, you know, like, like that page, et cetera. And the reason why I say, like, the thing which I've learned is, like, focus on your superpower was because I reckon the business would have been, like, at least fourfold if I basically said that the thing which I was good at was X. And I'd, like, focus intensely on that. I was a person who was trying to write stuff. I was a person who was doing this. Eventually, I brought in a small team and stuff to do it. I think at max, we were, like, six, seven people. Um, but like if I'd said, okay, that's my superpower and everyone else can do the rest of it, even if that meant, you know, giving up a bit of like equity or something like that, I would have done that right from the off. And, um, and I think that's one of the things which a lot of potential entrepreneurs kind of really don't quite figure out. It's like, what is the thing I'm uniquely good at, which in this current business, in this, whatever, I'm the only one who can really nail it. Yeah. And then really lean in on that. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, we yeah. see that a lot. There's, I guess it's kind of that founder mentality, isn't it? A lot of a lot of founders are trying to do so much all the time. Yeah, and have have lots of strings to their bow, but actually, yeah, your your attention often is better better placed in one particular yeah, yeah, area. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think there's also this idea of like just being being super objective about like how stuff is. So mm-hmm. like. When I was younger, and it's changed definitely. Fan bites now. Like, I'm not particularly emotional about things. Like things happen, and I'm like, "Oh, cool, that happened." Um, and I think another th- big have problem, you always been like that? No, yeah. before I was like, I was emotional as fuck. Um, I I was like if something happened it's like oh man like I've messed up I've done this I've done that
0: take it to heart don't you yeah Yeah.
1: massively massively like sometimes you know even now sometimes we lose deals which I could bank like my whole like income on getting and then we don't get it and I'm like how the hell did that not happen I have those Um, (laughs) and when that happens I'm always like oh okay focus on what actually objectively has gone wrong here Um, and then how do we fix it? And that objectivity and outcome has been one of the biggest things I think that has like helped me individually and I think it helped the business. We're just super clear about like, okay, say this brand has to go to someone. What are the things that person needs to show in order for that brand to pick them? Or like, you know. This we have to hit this target. What are all the things that we need to just like make sure are true in order to hit those targets? All right, now just do those things.
0: That's, that's, that's great, over. that's great advice. Um before we come on talk to fanbytes, you, you mentioned some of the the names that you know, some of the great entrepreneurs that you you approached when you were oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. started that that that, that business. Yeah. Um how you very humbly kind of washed over that, but how did you actually get access to people like that? Because I think a lot of us, you know, even myself with this podcast. Mm. There's, there's imposter syndrome. You think it'll be too impossible to get hold of them. What did you do? You you use your youthful exuberance. Uh... Yes. Yeah,
1: so literally, I I remember this. There was a conference called like the Business Show or like the Business. It was basically this like business conference at the Excel Arena, and I found the organizer, and as I just messaged him on LinkedIn, and I said um because the people speaking there were like i think was like james carnell and sugar richard branson etc so then i just went to him and i'd be like hey you know um i'm this like young guy trying to like start this thing off etc and if you i'd love to just have like 10 15 minutes with blah, blah blah and uh to make that happen can you please like I would more than happily help in terms of like getting everything like set up, like bringing out the chairs, doing everything. Cause the event was like a huge event. It was like 800 people. And I was just there like, yeah, I can help with doing all that stuff. And it was like, yeah, okay, cool.
0: Awesome. Um, That's a lesson to anyone listening. You know, he's, he's got those sorts of big dreams. Just go for it. You yeah. That's yeah. Awesome.
1: And I think it's also like, you know, at 17 at that age, I realized that, you know, if I emailed Richard Branson, you know, he's not going to reply. Um, Even if I went to this conference organiser and I said, hey, let's do, you know, can I please get in? He'd be like, okay, whatever. But the point was like trying to figure out what are his incentives? What does he want? Because, um, you know there's a saying which is like you can get anything you want if you help others get what they want right so i think from that from that mindset i was like cool this guy's running this huge event he needs extra people so what i did was i said okay i'll do it and then i just like got a bunch of my friends to, like, <laughs> to also do it brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. You know, no, well. i love
0: it i love it um well listen, you 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 then in twenty seventeen launched fanbytes. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about what led you to so starting the business and and a bit more about about what it is? Yeah,
1: cool. So um so after I sold my previous company, um, because as I as I mentioned, it was all around like these communities and stuff on Facebook. And when that happened, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like these communities are where a lot of the audience is and they are the people who can actually drive real value and drive real traffic. So then my whole thesis was, well, so it was twofold. My whole thesis was, okay, what if we did this at scale? So what if we brought together all the, like, all the influencers, all communities, people with the audiences, and we brought them at scale to actually help brands to reach that audience? Um, and then the second thing, um, most importantly also, was, was that, like, I had seen my younger cousins and my younger siblings, like, being influenced a lot by just these people online. And it just got me really thinking like, okay, well, we know the audience is there. Most importantly, we know this audience can actually drive real purchase value and real audience value. What if we build software and build stuff at scale, which would actually help brands to be able to like reach that audience? Um, Because the one thing I'd realized was like, you know, you can build a nice like business with no real software in place, no platform in place, unless you have something which seems somewhat defensible, um, like somewhat scalable, it always be a bit of a factor. Um, And so that there was, um, that there was one of the things, yeah.
0: So you you help brands reach Gen Z audiences. Um, What's kind of the the big, big mission and and how do you actually kind of help those brands work with you and what what makes you different to maybe Yeah to so
1: I think like fundamentally when we started out we had thought okay we're going to be like the place which helps brands like connect with like influencers and content creators and stuff and i think very quickly we realized that that was a, that was and is still like a commodity business uh to us it, it is it is fundamentally Any man and his dog can set up like a WordPress website and just suddenly say that. Uh, To be able to do it, however, on like a scale in which you, you become the audience specialist. So we always position ourselves as like we are the home for Gen Z. So if any brand wants to reach a Gen Z audience anyway, so sure, we start off with like influencers as the crux. However, we start thinking about how like paid social and out-of-home advertising and all that stuff feeds in that's kind of like the grand vision so like typically brands come to us and say hey we have this product that we like to sell we have this film that we like to go you know for people to see we'll plan a really sort of like influencer campaign people talk about it the stuff will go viral great but i think that when we started really piecing it together and thinking okay like that's a nice business, but how do you actually build something which is like significant? We then realize, well, actually, if you think about the biggest agencies, if you think about the like WPPs, Mediacoms, all that stuff of the world, they are not fundamentally, they're not focused on a, they're not focused on an audience. They are very much like general specialists who do stuff. And um, and that's all cool, but there needs to be the, but like WPP for Gen Z, like there needs to be that company where you think Gen Z marketing these guys, yeah, yeah. and I think that there was that there has been like the onus, the yeah, onus definitely. for us, and it's it seems to be ringing true in the market as well. Yeah, and it's you've good.
0: got incredible clients, and yeah, it's so and I know you've you built the business considerably <laughs> over the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I know your your founder and, and your is it Ambrose and mm-hmm. you set the business up. Um What was the Early, what were the early days like? You know, what what were the Way early cool, challenges that you kind of uh, had to overcome? Because I know now we're in this beautiful office, you got lots of people, <laughs> you know, plaudits galore. Um, but what was that? <laughs> Tell us a bit about the early scrappy days. What was that like, you? <laughs> The
1: early scrappy days, uh, the early, so what I found super interesting was that because we both started it in university, the early scrappy days did not seem scrappy because we were in university. Yeah, fair enough. So we had this kind of weird, uh, oh cool. Let's both take our like 500 quid like per month. It's like, whoa, like, you know, <laughs> balling, right? Um, because yeah, just because for us, it was just like meh, um, and then, we started, started, and then we started getting scrappy when we basically had to, I think at the beginning, when you are trying to build out a new model or trying to build out a new system, you always need to almost like figure out who are the dream brands for you. And even those dream brands sometimes cannot be pulled that much into the future. So we're trying to paint the picture of the future. And then they're like, yeah, that's cool. But we do this stuff like, oh, we are just going to spend on Facebook. And it's like, oh, bro, come on. Um, and I think that, um, you know, like when our first clients, I believe, was like New Look, we went out to New Look. We said, hey, we have all these communities, we have all these influencers, we have all this stuff. And they were like, okay, cool, yeah, let's roll. And I remember like turning to my co founder afterwards and I called him. It was like, oh shit, now like, we actually don't have anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, it was all just fake news. And, um, <laughs> Until and then obviously like you build that, but then get more people and etc. Um, scrappy times was when like we're hiring out maybe our first four or five people, and it was like oh okay, like now we need to you know like actually you know take this take this <laughs> take like even more serious <laughs> yeah, right yeah. because it, now it's not a case where oh well I think we're gonna miss oh I don't think we're gonna get enough deals this month okay that's fine well we wouldn't we won't take a salary, right? Like now it's much more of a how do you build a company culture and stuff, which we didn't really, we really didn't. We just kind of thought like culture was that weird thing people say when it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, build a company culture. It's like, <laughs> or like, you know. Get a table
0: tennis table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like
1: when Jeff Bezos was asked a question, what's the most important thing right now? He said culture they used to be like yeah easy for each, you to say like you're a multi-billionaire <laughs> you're the like, richest man the world yeah, right? <laughs> people are most important But um,
0: yeah you know. it's amazing it? I mean it's, it's the perennial challenge for most businesses really isn't it getting the culture right and hiring the right talent yeah, we're going to come on to that because it's particularly of interest to us yeah, at, yeah. at JBM uh, but when, when you started Fanbytes um, brands working with social media influencers wasn't at all as common as it is mm-hmm. today my wife's actually a, a, an influencer herself in, oh, the, yeah? in the interior space so I'll oh, be honest no. I knew nothing about this until uh, sort of 18 months ago. Okay. Um, but, um, so I'm kind of, I'm educating myself through her, her work. Um, but how did you navigate the challenge of having to educate these big brands on, on how this will help their business? How did you sell that, that concept when it really wasn't a big thing?
1: Most of it was actually not actually... Caring so much about the term influencer, we just, you know, like, we'd go to New Local, we'd go to Universal, we'd go to, like, Sony and be like, okay, what do you want to do? And it's okay. We want to drive streams and awareness of our song. Okay. If that's the outcome, let's try this. And and we tried it and it worked. (laughs) And
0: And in some ways, they don't care by what means. Yeah, like,
1: most people, this is something which I found... Um, To be true, so much, especially in like B2B businesses, most people don't necessarily care about how something is done. They just care that it's done. As you go higher up the chain, that's when interesting things like, you know, perception of how, you know, Kellogg's might be seen or something like that. But actually, the 90% of like the world or the people who work in marketing departments and all that stuff, their thing is, my boss told me to get 50K in sales this month. Can you help me? Okay, great. Yeah, there make you go. It happen help not right? Yeah. Right. Um, totally. So I think leading by what the end goal was was one of the most important. Yeah, areas. definitely.
0: And we've alluded to some of the brands that you've worked with: McDonald's, Warner Brothers, Delivery. These incre- incredible names. Yeah. What's your advice for anyone listening that may work for a bigger business who is struggling to or looking to reach that kind of younger audience, that Gen Z audience? Have you got any? tips that so they can start thinking about other than giving you a call, of course. <laughs>
1: um, so I'd say that number one. Um, so I think one of the big things, especially with marketers, and this might seem like heresy to me saying this, um, but like is forgetting that fundamentally on, on the other side of the phone, on the other side of the laptop or whatever is a human being. And we often get to, we often say, you know, this is a Gen Z, this is a millennial, they have like different habits, etc. And often if you start to realize that the key thing here is just, just, just treating people as human beings and injecting a bit more humor into what you do or injecting a bit more of a like personality into what you do. And the only reason why I say that is because as brands and as people who, as the younger audience, you find that because we've grown up with social, it's very easy for us to like turn on and turn off. And the brands who are aware of that and understand that, the interest spans is what's the most interesting. Oh, interest spans, what's the most interesting. The interest spans is what's the most valuable. So for example, people talk so much about like attention spans are dwindling. Attention spans are dwindling right now. You know, they have a, they have a thing of a goldfish and all that shit, right? And I'm always like, that's just complete bullshit. Because the same 16-year-old that you're struggling to reach is also spending like six hours a day on Netflix. So it's not an attention span play. It's the interest span, right? And so the moment that you start to really think about it, it's like, actually, it's interest spans that are dwindling because there's so much choice. Then you start to realize that the onus on you is not to... Like, I saw an article recently that YouTube has now brought out six-second video ads. And I'm like, bro, so it went from 60 seconds to 30 seconds to 15 seconds to six seconds. Yeah. Like, what's next? Like, two seconds. Going to be like, cool, Kellogg's, bye. <laughs> right? It's just, it, 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 it like... So to yeah. me, I've always said like the advice to brands and all that stuff is like understand that the thing that's changing is just like interest spans have increased, and so thinking about how you inject like personality into it's what you do. Like say we run like an influencer campaign, we never do any campaign which is like you know brand get the influencer to like hold the product and be like hey like here is Fit Tea or some shit, right? We've never done that because to us, it just seems like there's no personality, there's no humor. Like, even if you look at the, like, standard stuff that we do on Instagram, it's not just like, oh, cool, like, here it is. It's like, you know, we've, like, packaged up some piece of maybe, like, a video ad in the profile or something. Like, we've done something which injects personality. And, like, that's the stuff that wins, not uh-huh. just the stuff which is just, like, bog standard. Because when interest spans are so varied, bog standard doesn't really win.
0: I think that's it's it's brilliant advice and it it makes me think back to seven years ago when I set up JBM recruitment I I hated recruitment if I'm honest I started in the corporate world I really I I learned lots but I just kind of was disillusioned with the transactional Mm. nature of it uh, Mm. corporate recruitment and I was always adamant that JBM was going to be about relationships yeah personality and treating people as people and and actually bringing that human element you know I've always said it, like we're not rocket scientists, we're not changing the world, but yeah. as a headhunter, you can change people's lives by getting them the best job in the world. Yeah, 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 you yeah. can give them back time with their family, you can get them on the property ladder, so you can have a real impact. And I think seeing it from that perspective and just being yourself and honest makes a huge difference. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally resonates with me. And it's, it's interesting, and it comes on to the next part of the conversation yeah. because a lot of those big companies we talked about, one of the reasons I think they would be interested in your advice on is attracting Gen Z talent as well, which yeah. we're seeing a lot don't really want to go work for big corporate businesses. Now I know you've grown the business to what, over, over 30 people now, yeah. which is, is incredible in such a short amount of time. And I know from personal experience, it's quite hard growing a, a business to, to know where to prioritize, whether mm. it's you know, hiring, mm. whether it's, it's kind of L and D or whatever it may be. From your experience, what advice would you give to anyone that's listening Who's currently growing their teams, perhaps at a pace like you have, and the sorts of challenges they may be facing. What's your advice from, from that experience? So I think that the most important thing that I didn't do, but then now I'm doing,
1: is almost thinking about your company as a machine which is going through like different stages. So what I mean by that is often when people think about scale or like growing their business, they think how do I build my business from, say, you know, 10, 12 people? Then how do I like how do I build it to this like bigger company? But in most cases, you'd find that it's not so much the personnel that you need to bring in. It's actually maybe there is the next step. There's a specific step that you need to get to. And it might be that you need more personnel. It might be that you need a like a specific one person it might be that you actually just need to change the nature of the entire way that you structure your business. And I think when you start thinking about scale, not as how do we go from 1 million to 10 million, but actually in a case of, right, so how do we actually go from 1 million here, but the aim is we need to do a specific thing. So I'll give this example. So for us, one of the things that we said at the start of the year was that we needed to increase our average order value. And so instead of like then going out and building like a huge sales team and all that stuff, we said, okay, if we need to do that, what are the few things that we need to actually change? Because we almost know that by increasing average order value, fundamentally, you could take the exact same people, sell to the exact same clients, But if they're going with something which is which has a greater perceived value, the average order value will just increase. So even without hiring anyone, we just increase the average order value because we just change the way that we like position the product. If we would thought, okay, like let's increase average order value, therefore, let's now just go and target like the agencies, et cetera, which we are doing and all that stuff. I think we basically have like falling on our face because we didn't go through the stages. We just thought go from like zero to 10 or whatever. And I think that there is the big advice I always give with like scaling is like, don't think about scaling as like this rush of a thing where it's like, cool, now we scale. I think it's very much a game of like, okay, what do we need to get to that next stage? And like, whether it's people, process or whatever, anything else, how do we get there in just, like, a structured, measured way, right? Without almost, like, okay, let's now just go hire, like, a ton of people.
0: Bums on seats for yeah, exactly. and You see it, don't you? And, exactly. and often it, it you, you end up wasting incredible amounts of time and money Yeah, when you don't, as you said, you don't always need to. Yeah, yeah. To
1: um, that I think, I find that to be, like, the biggest downfall. Because we made that mistake. You know, there's been... At the beginning, I you know I say last year, like our like turnover was just abysmal. It was just really bad, and and I still have a lot of regrets sometimes with like some really good people who I'm like shit. Like if I had been able to do things in stages and like piece things together state by state instead of just going like yeah, let's just hire a ton of people. That would have just been like way better.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I, think, I appreciate your honesty. And I think there's there's lots there for anyone that's going through this journey mm. that can learn a lot from that. I guess as teams grow, sometimes businesses, well, the culture will shift. How would you describe the Fan Bites culture and how's it evolved over the last few years?
1: So I think at the beginning, one of the mistakes we made, especially around the like service delivery, was that we tried to hire people who were like too similar to us. So, We tried to hire people, especially who were too like, Analytical. And I think that was a big problem. Yeah. I think that was a big problem. It led to us being able to be just not particularly being able to like fulfill that well-on briefs and stuff.
0: Did it lack diversity of thought because everyone was the same
1: or yeah, it lacked a diversity of thought. But I think also until recently, eight months ago maybe, I don't think there was like a backbone to fanbite, which is super interesting because I think the backbone consisted of basically me. It was like, if I wasn't there, sure, things would go on, but it wouldn't really, like, you couldn't come in and say there's a group of people working towards a common goal. And that was definitely the case initially. And that was because essentially what happened was, if you imagine a company as a human body, we're basically hiring, like, too many left arms, right? And there was no right arm. There was no like right leg. There was basically nothing to actually make <laughs> it like a stable thing. And so that there was an issue. Now, I would say that our culture, and I was actually asking one of our employees, like, how would you describe me? And they said like, intense, but fun. And I think that generally translates to what happens in fanbites. Like, we are very intense about our results, but we also have fun with it. And I think they That's quite an important thing to be able to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, if you're honest about that from the outset, then, you know, there's so many people want to work in a company like this and Mm. will be attracted to that sort of environment where, you know, you're going to learn a lot, but also have a good time. Yeah. We often hear from people that want to work for companies like Fanbytes. So for anyone that's listening, what advice would you give to them about making a move into a a tech business, but Mm -hmm. also kind of what are the things do you look for when you're hiring for your business?
1: I think it's someone who has like a discernible superpower. So, you know, I've hopped on about this like superpower thing a lot, but I really passionately believe that people who really move the needle or people who are, say the company's sub 50 people, I think everyone, even down to the like office manager, should have something discernibly valuable about them. And in most cases, the thing or the skill you have which is valuable doesn't necessarily need to be something which, you know, people say you're either born with it or you're not. And I think that's the biggest pile of bullshit ever. Because everything can be practiced, everything can be honed. And for me, like, the people who've done well at Fanbytes and those who haven't are people who have some kind of superpower which makes them uniquely qualified or uniquely suited to the particular role they're in and sometimes it's not even like super hard skills it's not like man this guy's like an excel whiz or something but it can just be like the way they go about approaching specific things which you're like huh that's a pretty unique way of looking at things And I found that, yeah, in companies like sub-50, you know, over 50, I I reckon you can basically hide. You can, like, do a lot of, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the, like, assistant to the assistant. And it's like, okay, mate, like, that's a bit basic. (laughs) But, like, here, you know, especially the account execs, you know, they start and, you know, like, right now we have an account exec that just started. And she's now working on, like, two, like, really large briefs. And the reason why I have so much faith in her being able to do it is because she's shown that she has a unique superpower and uh, like being able to identify trends, translate, client demands, do all that stuff mm-hmm. there. And I think that's really powerful.
0: And it's great that you've, even though she's relatively early into the job, you, you're you given the responsibility yeah. and letting her own that and, and run with it, which is uh, is exactly what a lot of people want uh, yeah. when they join a new company. And that's great. Well, we're, we're getting towards the end of the conversation, Tim, which I, I'm sad about, but there's a few things still to cover. And, and I wanted to touch upon... The personal side of things, work-life yeah. balance is uh, yeah. something I've struggled with over the years. And I know what it's like to set up and run a business and the sacrifices that come with that. So given how young yeah. you are when you, you set the business up, do you, do you ever feel like you missed out on some of that youthful experience? Now you're kind of a few years down the line and, mm. and the business is is flourishing. How do you find that work-life balance now?
1: So I going to say something which is like somewhat cliche and when I first heard it I was like yeah really (laughs) but then actually I kind of like wholly lived that I don't quite believe in like the whole like work-life balance thing at all you know people talk about this idea of like work-life integration and stuff which I think is much more of like a better way to live your life so like when I was younger I just like work I'd worked and I'd study then I worked on the study but like it all just seemed like just one big party and even even you know, I'd say, you know, it being honest, I'd say about maybe six months ago, fan bites did feel a bit like a troll, it felt a bit like, uh, oh man, like now I've got to go into work. And it was because I lost sight of the thing that really made it exciting. And I started doing things which I didn't find exciting. I started getting stuck too much in the operational stuff, which I just felt like, oh, this
0: is so... You're not playing to your superpower Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. Right. But when you essentially are playing to the thing which you are uniquely good at and you enjoy improving in, then pretty much it's almost like someone's paying you to be really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like it's enough. like someone is. It's like someone's paying me to basically like be a better version of myself. Right, great. So yeah, I don't quite believe in the whole like work life balance. I, I I definitely believe in the whole like work life integration, whereby you create a life in which there isn't that much of like a split. Because neither life or work seems like a chore.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And I, I, I agree. Do you feel pressure? Do you feel the pressure because you've achieved so much? I mean, you've had all these impressive achievements, you're evening standards most influential person of in 2019. Oh, yeah. Congrats. Oh, yeah. um, and lots of other awards. Oh, yeah. What does Probably it that. what does it mean to to win these things? And do you feel like a pressure to kind of, you know, because you've achieved so much in such a young age? How do you, does that kind of ever get on top of you? Uh, You know, because you you talked about getting a bit of a funk and I think I've had that with JBM. Mm. You go through periods where you're just like, always question, why do you do it? I think that would be interesting to explore.
1: Yeah, I feel massive pressure. I think a lot of the pressure comes from, remember at the beginning I was talking about how like being an only child means that like you basically are by yourself, but you always think about how you could be better and all that stuff. I think so much of the pressure comes from just the sense of, from that sense, Mm. I think a lot of the pressure comes from the fact that because I see things very objectively, if I'm not achieving something, I feel very annoyed because I realise that it isn't me, but there's like some input which I'm not really understanding. So like, for example, even when we were like fundraising, you know, we raised them quite a few rounds prior and... I never felt any pressure, like zero pressure because I knew what needed to be done in order to raise the money. Like I generally never felt any pressure. Like my co-founders were like, oh, like, you know, how's it going? I was like, it's fine. Because like I knew the processes and everything that needed to happen. I knew, okay, if I say this to this type of person, that'll work, etc. The big pressure comes when I feel annoyed at myself for not figuring out what was the input. The problem is, as you grow a company, pretty much every single thing is that. Yeah. Every single thing is, oh, I don't understand how to do this. Like right now, one of our big things is hiring like a senior team. So people in like commercial roles and like agency roles and like marketing roles and all that stuff. And I did feel quite a lot of pressure on it because I'm like, if I'm about to fork out, you know pretty much like the most that I've ever like forked out for someone or like a suite of people like how the hell do I know they are like the right people but you never know they're the right people until you hire them and if you've never hired them before then you actually do not know what inputs lead to what outputs so then you kind of feel just this sense of pressure like oh shit I need to figure this out And that's where the pressure comes from personally for me. It's not so much a case of, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much like where the pressure comes from actually. It's just trying to figure out the processes, trying to figure out like which inputs lead to the output and not knowing that is where I'm like, man, you should know this because other people have. But then when those things happen, all I do is I just read a ton of books. Oh
0: really? I just I just,
1: I just read some books and I do other books work tell me. work it out. Yeah, um, yeah. the only thing is of course with something like hiring a senior person for this specific role, it's one of those weird things where like there isn't a book which says like this is how you hire someone
0: for this particular role. It's one of the hardest things. Oh, yeah, exactly. It? Yeah, no, um, totally, totally. Well we can we can always chat about hiring if you ever need any help. I uh, yeah, you <laughs> <realize>. <laughs> but no, I think it's it was really interesting insights and I think Anyone that's an entrepreneur, anyone that runs a business will be going through this exact same thing. Mm. So I I think that'll be, you know, really interesting perspective for people. Yeah. Our last few questions, Tim. Yeah. yeah. It would be remiss of me not to ask you about mentorship itself. Yeah. In the name of this podcast and and kind of the impact it's had on on my career. Um, Do you have any mentors?
1: Yeah, loads. Yeah. Uh, I tend to have a mentor for like each thing which I'm trying to learn. Okay. So for example, you know, as I was trying to learn about sales, I had my sales mentors. I was trying to learn about fundraising. I had my, like, fundraising mentors. My mentors tend to be a combination of, like, real-life people, like people that I know, sit, have lunch with, etc. or just books. I read a lot of books. The whole idea is, like, okay, I'm, like, struggling with something. How do I then become better at it? How do I do it? And then I just go do it.
0: How did you approach those mentors, the, the real-life ones, not the... Well, I, I guess didn't... the books are real-life people yeah. as well, but... <laughs>
1: Most of them have been super organic in which I'd like help them in some way. You know, quite a few of them are also my investors as well. Right. Yeah. But the ones who aren't, it has been like, I've helped you in some way. Whether it's been I've connected you with this person, I've done something which is like somewhat interesting. I think pretty much that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's great. It's, it's funny awesome. how we ask this question every time. and Everyone has a slightly different answer. And I think having lots of mentors is is, is a great way to go. I've got lots from different walks of life. Yeah. and I think it gives you a really rounded perspective on stuff. Looking forward next 12 months, Tim, what does it hold for you for Fanbytes? Uh, what, what can our listeners look forward to hearing? Yeah. So
1: for Fanbytes going to the US is one of our big things. We actually, about 45, 50% of our revenue comes from the US. But I think we need to actually like, Increase our presence there properly, which would be cool. Personally, for me, I'm like super interested in seeing what happens once we bring in this like senior team, or like once we even help the people in fanbuys to also become senior. I think I'm really, really passionate about that because I see it as like a challenge which I've never had. I'm really interested in some of the new things that we're doing, especially around. If the end goal is to be the home of Gen Z, then what are all the factors that come into that? How do we move beyond just being an influencer company or a social company? How do we be the WPP for Gen Z? And I think there are so many arrows in that bow, which I think could be very, very good. And knowing that I would be able to now focus on those because we've built in the foundation and the right team of people to do that. I think is one is just one of those things which I'm quite yeah I'm quite I'm quite happy about that.
0: Awesome and and the last question for anyone that's listening that's thinking about a career move, what one final piece of advice would you would you give them?
1: So the thing which I always like to say, especially to like people younger than me or even people older than me, is understand that you get paid for the value that you bring to the marketplace and one of, I think he's passed away now, but there's a really good motivational speaker called Jim Rohn. And he said this thing, and I remember listening to it when I was like 17, 18, and I remember listening to it in my bedroom and just like hearing that, I was like, because what it instantly meant to me was, well, if you get paid for the value that you bring to the marketplace, then you essentially can like design your own life by just being more valuable. Like just learn the skills, learn the things that you need to become more valuable. And for people thinking about it from a career perspective, you can almost like design the perfect career for yourself by just being the type of person who gets that career. Being the type of person who gets that job by just thinking, okay, the type of person who gets this job needs X, Y, Z. They are this type of person. Therefore, I'll just be that type of person. I have this thing which I've, recently been saying to a lot of people and sometimes they think it's weird, but it's like almost treat yourself as like a Sims character and where, <laughs> where it's like, okay.
0: Classic game. Like
1: right? <laughs> wake up, okay, go and do this. Like go to bed now, like do this at <laughs> this time. Like if you just almost like become the character mm-hmm. that gets the things that you want, the things that you want will just come to you anyway. And I find that kind of, mindset again to be like a really valuable one in terms of like career changes business relationships friendships all that good stuff there
0: i think that's a great way to end thank you so much tim we wish you the very best of luck for the year ahead and uh, excited to see where where this rocket ship goes thank you sweet nice one I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.